Thank you. Yeah. You're about to put it on the map. Oh, yeah. Hi, I'm Lulu, and I'm an alcoholic. And I am uh, sober today by the grace of God, by the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, as outlined in the first 164 pages of our book, A Good Sponsorship. And that's the important stuff out of the way. Um, I want to thank Monica for asking me and uh, John for loaning me his jacket because um, I live in the San Fernando Valley where it's really warm all the time because everyone is like, oh, this weather's great. I'm like, I'm freezing. And, uh, and I want to thank Karina for coming with me. Karina did uh, what I believe is the most spiritual thing you can do uh, direction-wise today is uh, she got in the car, right? And that's what we've been doing all day. We... Uh, We've had an interesting AA day. We went to a, a memorial service for a young man who is a member of my group who was active and doing all the things we do here and had a motorcycle accident. And they gave him some pain medication and they took a little more pain medication and they took some stuff that wasn't prescribed and for the last two years went in and out until he overdosed and died. It's a serious deal we got going on here, right? And so you know, she got to experience what, uh, what the problem is, and what the, what the end result of the problem is. And here we get to experience the solution. And, uh, and I love alcohol. So Jared, you killed it, dude. Yeah. Right. I, uh, love Alcoholics Anonymous. I, uh, I didn't always love Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm in a really weird kind of a spot. So I'm going to explain to you, um, a week ago, a little over a week ago, I went to visit my parents. They live in Scottsdale, Arizona. My mom is 81. My dad is 82. And, uh, and I went for the weekend and uh, things were worse than I had thought they were with my mother who has dementia and some other stuff. And I ended up staying for eight days and taking care of a lot of stuff. And I had the privilege of being able to do that. So I'm in a really weird place. I've been on the verge of tears. Um, like for a week and I'm not going to do that with parents and I get home and I allotted myself Friday evening to cry because God forbid I should cry in front of anybody and of course God said nope no crying on Friday night so I spoke last night cried like a baby in front of everybody so I just got to warn you there may be tears this evening because that's where I'm at and uh, that's not usually the girl I am it's funny I was last night I was with my friend Trenton and he speaks a lot and he's had some, some serious tragedy in his story. And he's a crier. He like gets up to the podium and he's crying halfway up here, right? He's, <laughs> is he not, right? Yeah. Oh my God, Trenton. And uh, I'm not that girl, but last night I was doing that. And so I don't know where we're going, but I'll tell you, I am uh, also from Chicago. I am from Chicago. <laughs> I used to talk like I was from Chicago. And then I moved to California and they all made fun of me. Right? So I stopped tagging like I was from Chicago. Because <laughs> right? all I want to do is fit in with you. And uh, I heard you say it, right? That's all I want to do is fit in with you. And uh, we moved to Bel Air, California. Mm, right? We were like the Bel Air hillbillies, you know, <laughs> from the Midwest, you know. Like we moved here in 1976. You guys were so cool. It was a surfer and skater era, which is back, right? And uh, you guys were wearing like, uh, OP shorts, hang 10 socks, Senor Lopez ponchos, right? Vans. And I had some plaid polyester elasticated pants on that came pretty much up to here. And uh, 
And I'm always just short of being cool, right? So I sent my mom to the mall to get me some vans. And my mom came home with a Kinney <laughs> version of vans. So I old people nodding their heads. For young people, that's, I would say pay less, but there's not even pay less anymore. Like Walmart, fake vans, for goodness sakes, right? And I didn't have the mom that was like, oh, it's okay. I got you the fake bands. You don't have to wear those anymore. My mother made me wear those fake bands every single day. So I don't fit in with you. I don't fit in with you. And I was smart. I don't want to really fit in with the smart kids. And I wasn't pretty. So I didn't fit in with the popular girls. And I'm not athletic. So I didn't fit in with the jocks. Uh, but I found the stoners took me without an application. <laughs> yeah, got any stoners? Anybody? Yeah. You, you can tell the stoners, their hands go up slow. Because <laughs> <laughs> we sat down and we smoked a little weed, right? And it didn't matter that I was wearing fake bands anymore. And more importantly, that it didn't matter to you. It didn't matter to me. Because I find that alcohol and drugs fix something in me that I believe they don't fix in the normal person. The book talks about it over and over again, right? The effect produced by alcohol that you were speaking of. I find that normal people don't have that. I know this because I talk to normal people. See, we, <laughs> we spend a lot of time around here around each other, right? You guys, a lot of you. Tell me who's in your first year. Raise your hand if you're in your first year. Yeah. So what happens is we hang out with each other around here, right? A lot. And so we hear stories and we think, yeah, that's where everybody lives, right? <laughs> we get this idea, right? Because you go to a meeting and somebody's like, oh, yeah, man, I sold, you know, I sold my car for dope. And somebody else is like, I sold my house for dope. Some chick's like, I sold my kid for dope. And we're like, ha, ha, that's hilarious, right? Right? Tell that to the ladies in the lunchroom at work, right? <laughs> They look at you like you got something growing under your forehead. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Right? But we spend a lot of time around each other, so we think this is all normal. And uh, and I love I love talking to normal drinkers. And I luckily I have a brother. Now my brother is not an alcoholic. He's the weirdest guy I know. Uh, and I want you to know we look alike. You know, same sperm, same egg, same womb, same upbringing. But that dude is not an alcoholic. And he's super weird. My brother has a wine cellar in his house. Like he keeps wine for like 10 years. I know, right? That's so dumb. I can't, I can't keep mouthwash in my house. <laughs> Who's that dude, right? My brother's been married to his wife for 24 years. I've been married four times. I can't get to 24 years. Like this guy is the most normal guy. You, he's so beige. He's like, <laughs> he is. he's a school teacher in Arizona and, uh, and yeah, he has like a beige house and a beige car and a designer beige dog. And uh, he lives in Arizona. He's got a beige lawn. Like he's beige, dude. <laughs> that guy. I'll just say one more thing about my brother. My brother and his wife, this is my favorite. My brother, um, because he's a school teacher, he likes to have his children uh, at a certain time of the year so he can stay home with them. So he actually has unprotected intercourse with his wife at a certain time of the year. <laughs> I know. So he can have his kids at a certain time of the year. <laughs> like I have kids when the stick turns blue. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I'm shaking it like a thermometer. <laughs> like this got to be wrong. <laughs> and that's 
that's related to me, right? And so I love, I love to talk to my brother about drinking. And so I say to my brother, like, what happens when you drink? And my brother goes, well, <clears throat> no, I have a glass of wine. And I start to feel it. Good. Good start. Keep going. Keep going. What are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Then I have a second glass of wine. I start to feel out of control. So I stop. <laughs> See, you're my people. Because <laughs> I have my second drink and I'm starting to feel in control. I have my second drink and I'm taking my keys back because I'm sure I can drive my car, a forklift, maybe an 18-wheeler <laughs> if you have one, right? Something happens for me that changes. You talked about it, right? They don't have, when you talk to normal people, it's great. Like we talk about, like I drink and I go, you know, they have a drink, they relax, whatever. It's a different experience. It's not fixing anything in them, right? And I chase that into the gates of insanity and death. That's what I do, right? Because it fixes, we were talking about it on the way up here. I don't have a drinking problem, right? Because it doesn't make any sense. I'll stop drinking, right? And, uh, and by the time I'm 17 years old, right, I stop going to school because school starts really early in the morning and I'm just not, I'm not a morning person. And uh, we don't go to school in my house. Uh, you can't live in my house anymore. And that's fine because I don't need you anyways, you know, and I leave home. And uh, by the time I'm 21 years old, I have the outside manifestations of a drug addiction. And those days were snorting a lot of cocaine. It was not cool to smoke it yet. I don't know if it was ever cool to smoke. You know, we'll talk about that later, Jerry. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, my nose has been cauterized a bunch of times, right? My gums are worn away. I'm rewiring the vacuum cleaner at three o'clock in the morning. Right? I obviously have a drug problem. And, uh, and life becomes too much to bear. I decide I can't, can't live anymore. And I take 64 sleeping pills wash it down with a bottle of Kahlua and I put on a long white gown oh to die because <laughs> you'll feel terrible when you find me and I'm a horrible drama queen right <sighs> and luckily or unluckily I am a drunk dialer I don't know I called my mom my mom was a therapist <laughs> <sighs> I know right nothing worse than being put on a 72-hour hold you know, locked down psych ward by your nice Jewish mother. It's just embarrassing in front of the other psych ward patients. And, uh, and in that psych ward, you know, they asked me, I didn't tell them about the drinking and I didn't tell them about the drugs. They sent me to a meeting of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And you know what I remember is a bunch of toothless old guys, probably about the age that I am now, right? And those guys in that meeting said they had lost their home due to drinking. They had lost their families due to drinking and they had lost their job due to drinking. And I was 21 years old and I hadn't lost anything yet. I didn't have anything to lose. And I know I'm not an alcoholic, right? Drugs are my problem. I'm not going to do drugs anymore. And I got out of that cycle with a, with a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous called Self-Knowledge. Drugs are the problem. I'm not going to do drugs <laughs> anymore. I will tell you, in that psych ward, they gave me medication. I do love medication. <laughs> I love medication that says don't drink with this medication, right? You know, it's going to be good if it's got a warning label. I pick my men the same way. <laughs> Kill on their, on their, oh yeah, that's neat. Come on. <laughs> and uh, 
and uh, when I got out of that psych ward, you know, uh, I'm always trying to fix my insides by fixing my outsides. I met a man. It's a lot of my story, by the way. I've been married four times. Um, it's hard to see out here, but I have a tattoo on my arm, so it seemed like a good idea at the time. I don't know if anyone else can relate. Uh, every husband has been the same. And, uh, and this guy, he didn't do drugs, so that's great because I'm not doing drugs anymore. And we, we threw away my bong together, you know, and I know the romance. <laughs> and that guy and I, we moved to Simi Valley, California, because drug addicts don't live in Simi Valley, California. <laughs> and, uh, we bought a house on a cul-de-sac because drug addicts don't live house on a cul-de-sac and I start driving a station wagon because drug addicts don't drive a station wagon then I start listening to country music right because drug addicts don't listen to country music and nothing changes right and this guy and I we get married and one day the stick turns blue and I'm pregnant with my beautiful son and I used to think I was a good mom because I didn't drink or use for the nine months that I was pregnant with my son. But my son was conceived in a vat of drugs and alcohol. And I'm the mother who can't go two weeks after my son is born. I can't breastfeed my own son because I have to have something in my system. And we're just chugging along and everything seems okay to me, but it's not okay with that guy. And one day he gets up and he leaves. And that's fine because I don't need you anyways. And I go meet a nice Al-Anon man who took care of me and my son for a year and a half so we didn't die. And I'm super grateful to that man every day. But one night, I go out with the girls to the bar. Oh, and I meet him. Mm, him. Mm. He drinks like me. He has a crystal meth problem, so he's sicker than me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I knew I was in love because he was wearing his work uniform and it had a patch with his name on it. So I can remember his name throughout my whole blackout. <laughs> we consummated that relationship on the hood of what I thought was my car in the parking lot. <laughs> I know people hate when you do that on their car. <laughs> we, went back, we went back to that Al-Anon guy's house and we picked up my kid and we picked up my stuff and we were gone. So we got married. We got married in our apartment because he was on house arrest. <laughs> I know you've done that too. <laughs> Nothing goes better with a rented tuxedo than an ankle bracelet. And, uh, and by this time, my parents have disowned me in an email, right? Because they're techno savvy. And they said, we're not going to watch you die. We're not going to watch you take your grandson with you. And my response to that is, I don't need you anyways. And I've lost my third job that year. And I've been hospitalized four times for drinking. If you would have asked me at that time if I was an alcoholic, I would have told you no. I would have told you the problem was baby daddy. The problem was the job. The problem was my parents. Drinking is not the problem. That's all right. <laughs> you looked embarrassed. Don't worry. And, uh, you know, If you're new, I want to welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm going to tell you, I don't care why you're here. You're going to hear a lot of stuff from people and people have a lot of opinions, but I'm going to tell you this. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous kicking and screaming. I didn't come here to stop drinking. I came here because I wanted the consequences of my drinking to stop. I was backed into a corner one more time. 
there was a sticker on the door and the train was coming next. And I knew they were taking my kid away from me, which I would have told you at the time was a tragedy, but really inside what I knew it was the best thing for my kid. And honestly, I just didn't want to see, I didn't want you to think that I was a bad mother. I don't want to be a mother. It's a lot of work. So if you're here for your spouse or for your kid or whatever, don't let anybody tell you that you're not here for a good reason. Because I came here kicking and screaming. But I came. I went to a treatment center. I'm the girl who took all her drugs to treatment. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I knew you weren't going to let me drink. I had four alcoholic comas left year of my drinking. I knew you weren't going to let me drink anymore. Besides, it's in the name, Alcoholics Anonymous, right? You're not going to be able to drink. Uh, but the guy unpacked my bag at the rehab was super nice. He pulled out my Ziploc bag with 15 prescriptions in it. And he was like, oh, what are these? I was like, those are my medications. They're prescribed by a doctor. <laughs> he said, you have a lot of prescriptions. I, was like, I have a lot of ailments. <laughs> there's a lot of doctors here i'm like yeah he said some of them are in puerto rico <laughs> Different back then. but he was great because he knew i was about ready to run out the front door right and so what he said is here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna take them up to the front when you need them you can come get them and i thought man this place is awesome right really good and that night they brought in a meeting of alcoholics anonymous and you guys scared me to death right i got no social lubricant i got no idea how to deal with you you're shiny clean, happy, laughing. You want to hug me? Mm. And I went running up to that front office. Knocked on the door. Guy who packed my, the nice guy who packed my bags, nowhere to be found. Woman opens the door. What? I said, I need two out of Antuzanix, a Valium, a Vicodin, a Trazodone, a Wabrutrin, and a Prozac. Please. I'm having an anxiety attack. And she said, you can't have that here. And I said, no, you don't understand, right? Because that's the cry of the alcoholic is you don't understand. She said, oh, yes, I do. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to hyperventilate. You're going to pass out on the floor. You're going to wake up and you're going to be fine. <laughs> Slam the door in my face. I know, I was so mad. She was absolutely right. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> I spent my first week in Alcoholics Anonymous watching meetings from behind a sliding glass nurse's window in the, in the treatment center, right? Because... When I'm hyperventilating and passing out in your meetings, it's just stupidly disruptive. And uh, I spent my second week in Alcoholics Anonymous, sitting in a chair by the door with my foot touching the outside wall so I wouldn't hyperventilate and pass out in your meeting. That's what I brought you, right? And I was gonna do some of what you did when I got here. I wasn't gonna do all of what you did. I liked meetings. I didn't have much of a social life when I got here. Meetings had my three favorite C's, cookies, coffee, convicts. I love me some meetings, right? Use it as dating service. Odds are good, bids are odd, you know. And uh, right? they told me to take commitments. I'd take commitments where I was your chick chick, your literature chick. I'd jump up in a cute outfit, be the son of a chick chick, I'm your chick chick, you know. They told me uh, get a sponsor. I got a sponsor in name only because every time I call that woman, she'd tell me what to do. I'm horrible with authority figures. They told me to work the steps. I'm not a fan of action words. I think I'm not going to work your steps. I'm not going to work out at a gym. I'm not going to work at a job. None of that's happening. And uh, hung out in Alcoholics Anonymous. They told me not to get in a relationship my first year. I didn't. I got my first sober relationship in a year and a day. Woo! Oh. Yes. 
followed the rules. Yeah. I work step none. I got no God, no sponsor. But we're going to meetings. He's been out of jail for eight days. Oh, we're in love. We're going to be that old sober couple in the corner. Like, you know, you go into every clubhouse. There's this old sober couple in the corner. We're going to be them, right? How'd they get there? They just went to meetings. And in nine months, he was loaded in my house. All the money was gone. And he was walking out my front door. And for me, this causes a problem because I have alcoholism. What I have at this point is a year and nine months of completely untreated alcoholism. And my alcoholism demands treatment. It demands treatment with a spiritual solution as outlined in our book for alcohol and drugs. So it's eight days before my second sober birthday. That's two years without a drink or drug, if you're counting. And I had a plan. I'm standing in my shower crying. I couldn't stop crying. And I was going to buy a gun so I could blow my head off on my second AA birthday because I told you I'm a drama queen. Y'all got to know that I'm sober, stark, raving sober. Luckily, I had trained my feet in Alcoholics Anonymous. I hadn't trained my brain here yet. My feet took me out of that shower and took me to a meeting, a meeting where some wonderful women grabbed me, women who cared more about my life than my feelings. And if you're new, I hope someone cares more about your life than your feelings. And on that day, I was desperate and willing. If you're new, I wish you desperation and willingness because if you're not, you're not going to do the things we do to stay here. And I would love to tell you that this is a story that since that day, I did everything you guys asked me to do. I worked the steps. And now every single day, I, work, I walk through the fields with Bill, Bob, and Jesus. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can tell by my attitude that that's not the truth, right? Because what happens for me is I get a little bit willing. You know, my willingness is completely dependent on my level of pain, right? So when I'm in pain, man, I'm willing to do everything you ask me to do. And then it comes and it goes. And what I can tell you is I got busy in Alcoholics Anonymous at two years over. I started doing everything you guys asked me to do. I started getting actively sponsored. I started doing all these things. I got real busy and my life got better, right? You guys taught me to suit up and show up. I got a job. I got a better job. Things got good, right? I'm going to meetings. And I'm your whatever, you know, I'm doing all the commitment, doing, I'm busy in Alcoholics Anonymous. I only had one problem with what you talked about. You guys kept talking about God. Mm. You see, I don't want anything to do with that. See, I grew up in a household with a punishing God. My mom was the kind of mom that you'd bang your knee on the coffee table and she'd yell from the other room, God punishes. <laughs> I don't want that guy to know where I live, right? <laughs> and uh, I got busy in Alcoholics Anonymous. My life got better. It started to look good. You know, when I'm, uh, I can talk a good game. So, you know, I get the good water in the fancy parking space. And I'm sponsoring half of the San Fernando Valley trying to transmit something I haven't got. My life looked really great on the outside. And about three and a half years sober, I got my kid back. That looks good on the outside, doesn't it? Like the people in AA were nice enough. I had a one bedroom apartment and they came over and put up a tent in my dining room so my son could have a bedroom because I don't think of things like that. And at five years sober, I meet a man at a meeting and we fall madly in love and we get married in a big AA wedding, 238 of our closest friends and family. We buy a big house and I'm driving a BMW and I'm still dying on the inside. But now I have like eight and a half years sober. And I can't tell you that I'm dying. 
because my first drug of choice is what you think of me. And I'm in these rooms. And so I started thinking, that's a problem for me because I have a thinking problem, not a drinking problem. You see, if I had a drinking problem, I'd just stop drinking, no problem, right? But I have this thinking problem. I start thinking, I mean, I wonder if people in AA are doing all the things they say they're doing, right? Rigorous honesty? How much does that suck? <laughs> it started really simply with illegally downloading music because I think I'm entitled. And then I thought it was okay to cheat on my taxes. Everybody cheats on their taxes, right? Then I thought it was okay to cheat on my husband with a 24-year-old boy who had 18 months sober and no regard to his welfare whatsoever. And I was doing really shady stuff in and out of these rooms. But I'm sober, stark raven sober. And luckily, the woman who was my sponsor for 13 years came into my life. And she said, you're going to drink. No. Don't you know who I think I am? She said, you're the prom queen of the leper colony. Now what? <laughs> you're popular in AA. Woohoo! That table at the mental hospital. <laughs> mm -hmm. She opened up that book and showed me where it said that if my motives didn't change and I continued to harm others, I was sure to drink. And I didn't believe her. So I was 10 years sober. And I was standing in a bar in Las Vegas, Nevada, a bar I'd been in a bunch of times. And I had acted out in my marriage one more time. And I had a thought. Sudden thoughts, impulsive actions, thinking problem. And that thought was, you know, if I weren't an alcoholic, I wouldn't have to live up to all this spiritual garbage. Which is a really scary thought for an alcoholic like me. Because I was walking straight for a drink. See, that woman had told me that everything I do is walking towards a drink or walking away from a drink. And not just in here with you for an hour and a half. I can be a spiritual beacon of life for you hour and a half sit next to me on the 405 freeway i knew she was right i was walking straight for a drink and then he was going to drink and i called her up and i said i'm going to drink what do i do she said it's a program of principles and you don't have any <laughs> the first one being honesty and the second one being humility i found out when i got honest humility soon took care of itself right because when people in AA found out I had cheated on the nicest guy in the fellowship, the guy who founded my home group, people weren't nice to me. People walk up to me in my own home group and go, and walk away from me, which was great. Because you guys couldn't be my higher power for one more minute. It says in our literature, God couldn't would if he were sought. You see, here's the thing you get here and we tell you. Make the tree your higher power. Make the doorknob your higher power. Make the group your higher power. That's cool. But eventually, they're going to cut down the tree, and eventually, the doorknob is going to break, and eventually, you are going to fail me. You are human, and I got to get something bigger. I lost everything. I lost that marriage. I lost that job. I lost that house. I totaled my, pre my pretty BMW texting because I was so important. I couldn't miss that text. And everything that came between me and God went away. And having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, it's all I get, right? I thought for years it was cash and prizes. And don't get me wrong, I love me some cash and prizes. I'll get in line for that every time. It'll come and it'll go. What I get here is a God and I get to give it to somebody else. That's it. And I ended up in a guest house in someone's backyard seeking God. I was raised Jewish. I'm a practicing Buddhist. I'm actually Buddhist because I still eat the sentient beings. I'm not willing to give up the in and out burgers yet. 
in LA that makes me a boo <laughs> and I have an 11th step practice today, right? If you would have asked me my first 10 years, if I worked the steps, I would have told you yes. If you would have asked me what my 11th step practice was, I would have told you, hmm, meditation makes me uncomfortable. It's a step. It's not optional. It's not like I get to pick and choose which one's going to work. It's like my friend Samantha M says, it's like baking a cake without eggs. You know, ah, it'll be fine. Right? And, uh, I was living in that guest house and uh, I met another guy. Uh, we're on husband number four, if anybody's got a scorecard. <laughs> he lived in another country, so I thought this'll be fine. So much better, <laughs> right? It's gonna be better. <laughs> I lived in England and uh, so I thought, well, heck, I'll marry him. And uh, I married him and I moved to England because I figured they've got AA. In England, um, just so you know, they are a glum lot. And, uh, <laughs> like I didn't, listen, I didn't move somewhere cool like London, right? I moved to like the Oklahoma of England. And I don't mean like Oklahoma City, I mean like Enid, Oklahoma. Like cows and sheep and pubs, that's it, right? And I'm thinking, oh, it's gonna be fine. It's not fine, right? And I get there and there's like, if I'm, I'm lucky if there's one meeting a day, there's no steps, no traditions on the wall. Nobody's talking about the book and everybody's complaining about their day. I wanted women in my life. There were two women there when I got there. One had six months, one had 20 years. And uh, within six months, the woman with 20 years was diagnosed with cancer and passed away. I thought, man, I'm going to die here. There's no newcomers. There's nothing. What am I going to do? And my sponsor kept telling me, just be the example of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, keep showing up with your book. Keep showing up with your book. Right? Keep showing up with your book. And one woman showed up, and another woman showed up, and then another woman showed up. And eventually I ended up sponsoring 17 women in the uh, time that I lived there in four years. And that was my purpose there, right? I got, I still am in contact with one of my old grand sponsees, and she always thanks me for going through the book with her sponsor. It's for her sponsor, because she's sitting down with a new girl and going through the book the way I was taught. That was my purpose there, not the dude. The dude didn't work out. I know you're shocked by that information. <laughs> Seems I have a relationship problem. All right, whatever. <laughs> well, my God also knows me. Like, God could come down like Charlton Heston, God, like with like robe and staff and, uh, and be like, Lulu, I need you to go do my work in the middle of England. I would have been like, dude, I live in the valley and I'm sort of busy. <laughs> so he sent me a cute guy with an English accent. Boom, <laughs> I moved to another country. <laughs> <laughs> and after four years there, I'd had enough and I, uh, I came home. I when I came home, I went to move back to where I lived before I lived in the NoHo Arts District in the Valley, which is a misnomer. There's tons of hoes. And uh, <laughs> it's like the cool, I know it's hard to believe there's a cool part of the Valley, but it's the cool part of the Valley, right? And it had doubled in price. I couldn't afford to live there. Somebody offered me a guest house in Northridge. Northridge, California. Like there's nothing in Northridge, dude. Are you kidding? We had an earthquake in 1994, right? That's what everybody knows about there's nothing. My sponsor told me to shut up and take the guest house and be grateful. And I moved into my little 650 square foot guest house and God sent me a little dog. I have a five pound chihuahua and uh, 
I drive a Miata. For some reason, God thinks I need miniatures. I'm not really sure what's going on. I'm not like petite. And, uh, and I started my little life back here. And, uh, and then 2020 came along. Anybody else have a weird 2020? Anyone else a little strange? Yeah. I had a side of weird sauce with my uh, 2020. On January 19th of 2020, I had a stroke. They say get a good sponsor. They'll save your life. Mine did. Do you know I was acting weird? Uh, which is important because I'm kind of weird to begin with. <laughs> and, uh, and it's very time sensitive. You have three hours to get the shot that clears the clot out of your brain. It's a TPA shot. And uh, my sponsor and my best friend got me to call 911 and the paramedics showed up and they said, we think she's having a stroke. And they took me uh, to Northridge Hospital, which was a mile from my house and the only stroke center in the San Fernando Valley. Mm, is it odd or is it God? When they checked me into that hospital, they diagnosed me with something called MRSA. Didn't know what MRSA was, didn't really care. I was busy having a stroke <laughs> and uh, I was in ICU for 10 days after, and uh, they let me out of ICU. And uh, a month later, I lost my job and pretty much my career. I didn't work again for 14 months. And on March 13th, you guys were all shutting down for COVID. And uh, I got really sick with MRSA. I broke out in abscesses all over my body. I was septic and I almost died for the second time that year. I was in and out of emergency rooms. They were treating me in hazmat suits and tents in the parking lot because they didn't know what COVID looked like. It was really scary. So I thought that would be the perfect time to get in a relationship <laughs> with a guy who was 25 years old, four months sober, and five days out of prison. Thank you. Thank you very much. No, it's fine. I knew his mom from AA. By April, you guys were gone. Weren't having meetings anymore, right? You were on this. And this was little like Brady Bunch squares and I was completely detached from you. By May, the MRSA attacked bones in my mouth and I need major surgery to move bones in my mouth. And by June, that relationship ended in a hotel room in Las Vegas, Nevada in violence. And my ass was falling off. The old timers used to say, if your ass is falling off, pick it up and put it in a bag and take it to a meeting. But you weren't there anymore, you were in little squares. I wasn't down with the squares. And I was in a really dark place at 19 years of sobriety. And I would drive my little Miata down the street and a truck would be coming the other way and I didn't want to actively hurt myself, but I thought, man, it'd be really nice if that truck could just drive on this side of the street. Because that triangle is unity, service and recovery. And when I was missing that unity, recovery was gone, man, it was really bad. And I remembered I had taken this guy to an illegal rogue meeting in a park. Illegal rogue, I picked up my big book and I picked up my camping chair and I started going out to the park every day at noon and six. And these girls were coming on the treatment center vans, right? And there was nobody to sponsor them because my sponsor said anybody with time and any sense was at home. And, uh, <laughs> I was crazy big book lady in the park. They would come off the vans. I'd be like, you want to work the steps? You want to be, you don't even have to tell the treatment center that I am your sponsor. I'm not your sponsor. Let's just work the steps. Because the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, 
that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking an intensive work with another alcoholic. That's it. We all got through in this part, you know, it was all right. And I got through, through sponsor direction. And I remember I was talking to my sponsor one day and I told her they were bringing food boxes out to the park. And she said, did you take a food box? And I was like, absolutely not. And she said, do you have any food in your house? And I said, no. See, I'm 20 years sober and my ego is still so huge that I don't want you to see me take a food box. It's not like I'm going to starve to death. But that's my head. I need to be actively sponsored. I need to be out with you. I need to be going through the steps with somebody else. That's what I got to be doing, all of it. You know, and I say we all got through, but what I can tell you is that 25-year-old uh, on September uh, 17th of last year, um, he OD'd and died after 10 more rehabs because this thing ain't playing anymore. People are dying with a pill. Um, tell you a little story about real quick about um, my brother, my perfect brother. I hated my brother when I got sober. Um, God, he's so perfect. And uh, so perfect, man. I hate that guy. And so when I was 10 years sober, my life is on fire in Alcoholics Anonymous. I go into meetings, right? I would call my sponsor crying because you guys were mean to me. Then I call my sponsor, they were mean to me. And uh, so my dad had died when I was uh, 24 years old. And my brother was kind of not very helpful. And uh, when my dad died, I had to clean out his house. My dad was kind of a high-end hoarder, you know, and my brother didn't help. And uh, my brother said, I want one thing at dad's. It's his Movado watch. So when I cleaned out my dad's house, I found the Movado watch. I stuck it in my pocket and I never gave it to my brother. <laughs> Screw that guy. <laughs> so at 10 years sober, my life is on fire. I'm crying to my sponsor. The meeting, the meeting. One, day, one day my sponsor just goes, why don't you give your brother the watch? You're not listening to me. This is what they do with my brother. <laughs> Hangs up the phone. Next day, why don't you give your brother the watch? Oh my God, this woman will not stop. Not know about you guys, but I'll do something to just to shut up my sponsor, right? So finally, after a few weeks, about a week of that, I'm like, fine, right? And uh, my brother was visiting from Arizona. I called my mom. She was living here at the time. And I said, uh, I'm going to pick up Josh and take him to the airport. My mother said, you're not going to kill him and hide the body, are you? Right? Because that's the kind of relationship we had. All my mother ever wanted was for us to have a relationship. I'm not having it with that dude, right? And uh, I went to the jewelry store and I had them put a battery in the watch and a nice band on the watch and put it in a nice box. And I was driving down the 405 freeway with my brother and I did what you taught me to do. I said, it was wrong for what I did to you. What can I do to make it right? And then I shut my mouth. And I handed my brother the watch. My brother opened the box and he started to cry. And he said, do you know what it was like to be your brother? And I said, no, why don't you tell me? And he said, you know, I was just a good kid doing the best that I could do. And you were in the principal's office again. You were in the hospital again, and you were in the back of a police car again. And they didn't even know I was alive. And I had never seen it from my brother's point of view. See, my brother's a good guy. Mr. Beige, like, pays his house payment, right? He's putting two kids through college, and he's a good dude, and he works in an inner city school. And he raises money for his girls to have jerseys because they don't have money. He's a volleyball coach, right? He does good stuff, and I couldn't see it until that moment. 
And what you taught me to do was not just say I was wrong, but I amend the behavior. I started to make my brother the center of attention. He's a good guy. We started raising money for his girls to have jerseys and all the things. And we grew this incredible relationship, my brother and I. And then in 2019, I found out that uh, my Chicago Bears were playing his Rainers in, uh, in London. And my brother's never been anywhere, right? Because he's a good guy who pays his bills. And he's not, I'm off flitting around the whole world because I'm darn right, I'll put on a backpack. And so I called my brother up and I said, I want to take you on a trip. And on September 28th of 2019, my brother and I got on an airplane and we started out in uh, Glasgow, Scotland. I went to Edinburgh, went all the way down through England. We went to see Arsenal play and watch the Bears play the Raiders at Tottenham Zoo Stadium. Um, the Raiders won. <laughs> I told him it was part of the immense. <laughs> but what happened on that trip was like this road trip with my brother. Um, I found out it was just like my brother, right? We laughed all the way there, all the way down the country. We had the best time. You know, they tell you don't leave before the miracle happens. If you would have told me the miracle is going to be a road trip with my brother, I would have told you you could keep your miracle. That's the miracle. My other miracle happened this week, you know, when I got sober. When I got sober, I used to say to my sponsor, you know, my mom, when I got sober, my mom said to me, she said, I used to sit by the phone every night waiting for the police to call and say you were dead. Now I have a child. I can't even imagine what that feels like. I said, how do you make amends for that? And I luckily have had sponsors that said, just keep suiting up and showing up, doing what you're doing. Last week, I climbed in a shower with my mom and I washed her hair. And that may sound ridiculous to you, but that's how. Right? My mom knows that she can call me any time of the day or night. You made that happen. Alcoholics Anonymous made that person nothing else because I followed your direction. I showed up and did what you asked me to do. I got sober at a place called Radford Hall and there used to be these hippie ladies at Radford Hall. They were the tie-dye wearing essential oil sniffing, you know, those ladies, crystal wearing hippies. If you want what we have and you're willing to go to any lengths to get it. All I was riding a motorcycle at a leather jacket and a pierced tunnel. I was like, nah, right? I don't, I don't want it. I don't. What those ladies had was peace. Through the 12 steps, they had a God of their own understanding that solved their problems. They had peace, a peace that I didn't even want when I got here. I thought I was too cool for it. Now that I have it, I wouldn't sell it to you for a million dollars. But if you ask me, I'll give it to you for free. So 